Hey everybody, welcome back to Only Stupid Answers. My name is DJ Wildridge. This is the show where we talk about movies, TV shows, comic books, and especially this week, video games, because this past week, as of this recording, was E3 2021, and I have an amazing guest today, the perfect guest to talk about this topic, Mr. Dan Casey. Dan, say hi to the kids at home, and for any of them that might possibly not know who you are, tell them who you are and where they can find you. Well, DJ, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I always assume that nobody knows who I am because uh, I don't want to be disappointed. Um, <laughs> but if you if you don't know me, my name is Dan Casey. I work at Nerdist.com. I make a bunch of videos over there, usually thinking way too hard about things like Loki and drawing tenuous connections between comic books and Mephisto. Um, but yeah, here I am today to talk all about E3 because I was fortunate enough to take part in it this year. Uh, so I'm going to uh, do a quick tangent because you brought it up and I wanted to ask you about Loki yeah. and, and the movie. The Mephisto rumors. What are your thoughts on that? Because we've had some discussion about that over here as well. Um, look, I don't think that Mephisto is going to be a part of this one. Unfortunately, as much as I'd love to in my heart of hearts, if he was going to pop up anywhere thus far, I thought it would have been like WandaVision. Mm -hmm. Still holding out hope. Maybe it'll be Spider-Man uh, No Way Home. But... I don't think that Marvel's ready to take the plunge into like full on demonic uh, satanic just yet. We might touch on that with some other sort of like Lovecraftian style monsters, maybe like a Shumagoroth and like uh, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. But if anyone is like a hidden villain in Loki, the one that I'm secretly holding a torch for, maybe not so secretly, is Kang the Conqueror because we do know he's coming to the MCU. Jonathan Majors from Lovecraft Country is going to play him in Ant Man Quantumania. And he is connected to the Timekeepers. A lot of their stories are very intertwined. He's always popping up throughout history trying to establish himself as a political power, maybe a pharaoh here or a tyrant there. So to me, it could make sense narratively, but I'm just mostly looking forward to being surprised. But it's not going to stop me from wild theories in the meantime. Yeah, I actually think the Kang theory is a really good one, and it's better than a lot of the WandaVision theories because I think the problem with a lot of the WandaVision theories is they were dependent on it's like, it's going to be Mr. Fantastic. It's like, if it was going to be Mr. Fantastic, we would have had a casting announcement like six months ago. Like we would have known. Mm -hmm. And Kang, we do know. And also, I found out recently, because, you know, I'm usually pretty plugged in with all this stuff, but now the MCU's grown to a point where they're like, uh, TVA and the Time Masters. I'm like, okay, I don't know. Yep. And I always call them Time Masters. I think they're the Time Keepers, and I always make that Time mistake. Keepers, yeah. yeah. And previously, there's a little Easter egg in the show. They were When they first came out, they were the Time Twisters, because they were these, like, botched versions of the Time Keepers. And the little device they used to rewind Loki in episode one, they call it a Time, time Twister, twister. and Easter good. egg there. But, uh, yeah, the timekeepers, it's that weird, like, 1980s, uh, like, er like early 90s, uh, just, like, Thor weirdness, where you had people like Mark Grunewald just, like, going ham and just making weird uh, sort of extra-temporal agencies. Like, the idea that this infinite bureaucracy exists to keep track of Marvel's endlessly uh, noodly uh, continuity, it's kind of cool. And it's nice to see how they've restructured it here as this sort of, like, very, like, Brazil meets... Mm -hmm. Uh, Mad Men style uh, agency. Yeah, I, I'm really digging it. And it was, I found out that um, Ravana Renslayer, played by Gugu Mbatha-Ra, is actually connected to Kang. And so it's like, oh, yeah, we might see Kang actually. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. She appeared in, first appeared in Avengers 23, and then she was uh, basically. I think Kang fell in love with her and she mm -hmm. fell in love with Kang and then she sacrificed herself. So he played with the timeline to bring her back. So I, I'm like, the way she's being super cagey now spoiler alert if you haven't seen episode two yet she acts very cagey when uh 
she talks about Kang. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'm I'm curious, or when she talks no, she, when she talks about the timekeepers. Excuse yeah. me, I'm getting ahead of myself here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She gets very cagey when talking about the truth. So I'm curious what's going to happen here because people. It, I mean, look, it's a show about the god of mischief. Everyone's deceiving everybody else. Yeah, and it's interesting too because I, I think you're right on the money with Mephisto too because I've had the same question of like you know Marvel is a Disney property now. Disney's very four quadrant shoot for the middle that sort of thing it's like are they going to have a literal devil as one of their what are the odds that at some point the literal devil's going to show i think at a certain point perhaps because they're you know they're kind of touching on that like it felt like they're heading in that direction when you start off with wandavision getting into this mm-hmm. kind of like dark magic like occultism like you know agatha harkness going all the way back to the salem witch trials eventually Uh, It's not like witches were just practicing magic that was like completely separate from that whole sort of like, uh, like satanic uh, occult uh, vibe, especially in the comics, too. I mean, they didn't don't they literally have a character son of Satan. So I doubt we'll see him pop up anytime soon. But, you know, there was that nice little fake out. We have the stained glass window in Loki Mm -hmm. episode one that looks is just a literal red devil sitting there. But I do think. That is just unfortunately uh, a coincidence because I think series director Kate Heron spoke with Variety saying, oh, uh, no, that's yeah. sorry. That was just stained class. <laughs> well, and it would be interesting if they do decide, if they ever do decide to do Mephisto, which I feel like if he does show up, it'd probably be if, if they ever do Ghost Rider because in a lot of the Ghost Rider movies, Mephisto oh, yeah, a factor in those. But it would be interesting if they're like, hey, we've introduced the idea of Loki as variants. He's already got a horn helmet. Uh, our version mm-hmm. of Mephisto is just a Loki variant. Don't worry. Don't worry. Uh, middle, you know, uh, middle of the country christians yep. it's just loki <laughs> no no it's it's not it's not uh christian satan mm-hmm. it's marvel satan it's marvel it's satan it's asgardian okay, satan. okay um anyway well thank you for for indulging me in that little tangent of course so um before we dive into the e3 stuff is there anything not e3 related that you're that you're into that you'd like to share with the class today yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, it's almost E3 related because uh, after E3, all I wanted, like talking about video games all, all day, all I wanted to do is go back and play video games. Mm-hmm. And I realized that I have a um, substantial backlog, a uh, like I could... I'd be like a Spider-Man on that cover trying to like emerge from the rubble of a building. Uh, <laughs> but that's all the video games in my Steam library that I haven't played. Um, but one that I went back to because it feels like comfort food a little bit. And I was like playing it a ton last year because it was my almost like my way to travel when I couldn't is uh, Yakuza Like a Dragon. Okay. Now the Yakuza series is almost like the uh, Japanese equivalent of Grand Theft Auto in a certain way. They're these kind of bombastic stories about people living on the margins of society and the Japanese underworld. And this one, you really play this kind of like goofy dude who is like almost tossed out of the uh, Yakuza and then has to build himself back up. And he's someone that is just this really over-the-top guy who views the world as a turn-based strategy RPG or a turn-based like JRPG. So when you encounter combat, his worldview shifts and they turn into these like monsters almost. And then you do turn-based RPG combat. But it's just set in this like picture perfect recreation of Yokohama in Japan and like there's so many great little details and uh, the mini games I've spent an irresponsible amount of time playing the uh, business management simulator mini game where you start with this little like uh, senbei like cracker bakery and then you have to work your way up to become the number one business in all of Yokohama which oh, wow. it's strangely addictive so I, I'm having a lot of fun with that I get I get getting sucked into the mini games I remember when I was playing Witcher 3 and I, oh, yeah. I, I started losing the Gwent matches and I'm like mm 
Yep. I, and I spent an inordinate amount of time like, oh, I'm going to be the best at Gwent. <laughs> it's it's crazy that they built a whole world around that card game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, I'm sure there was other crises that uh, Geralt had to solve, but I never got to. Yeah, it's it mostly just Gwent. the card game. Well, I mean, there's a reason yeah. it got its own spinoff. I haven't played the Yakuza games, and I need to because when you describe them as like Grand Theft Auto, but Japan, it's like, yeah, why am I not playing these games? Yeah. Which where are PC system? Where are you playing this? So they, I, I'm playing. Um, um, Yakuza right now on um, uh, Xbox on the Series okay. X, um, but they actually, as of um, E3, actually every Yakuza game is available on Xbox Game Pass, which means you can play it on PC or Xbox, and a bunch of them are on PlayStation as well. Um, sadly, not on Nintendo Switch, although that seems like an ideal platform for a lot of them, especially the older ones. But uh, most modern consoles, you should be able to get one or more Yakuza games on there. I know for a fact. Um, that Yakuza Like a Dragon is on PS5, Xbox Series X, and now PC as well. Oh, no, now I have to ask you, speaking of tangents, uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Xbox Series X or PS5? Um, well, I'm uh, very privileged in a position that I have both because I reviewed both of them for uh, Nerdist, so I'm, I have the company systems right now. But if you had um, to choose. If I had to choose, I will say, actually, so far, <clears throat> I've been playing more Xbox Series X than I've been playing... Um, uh, PS5, but even then I've been playing more PC than either of them. Yeah. Um, it's just, I, I like having the option to play all of them. Like I had both systems last gen as well. I, I just like having the option because I have a bunch of friends that play on each one. And it's usually the priority is, okay, I like playing a lot of multiplayer games. Mm-hmm. What are my friends playing on tonight? Okay, that is the system I will use tonight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I do think that at the moment, uh, Siri, the Xbox Series X is a better value proposition um, from a game perspective because with Game Pass and the number of like sort of next gen games they have available and the sort of upgraded games, it, there's just more to play on it because PS5 needs, you know, they just got uh, Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart, which is fantastic, but they do need some more sort of killer apps to really set it apart. So I'm hopeful that, you know, we'll touch on this uh, when we talk about E3, the yeah. stuff coming out of this conference and coming down the pipeline is going to make it uh, a lot better when, when and if people can finally get it because of that global chip shortage. What's that? I mean, I mean, so, no, I know, I know, but for the yeah. kids at home that might not. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, so kids at home, for those of you who don't know, in case you're wondering why a PlayStation 5 costs two or three times the amount that it actually does is because there is a worldwide uh, microchip shortage um, for the processors that they use inside of each and every video game console, the graphics cards, the uh, CPUs um, connected to a silicon shortage, and they are so backed up. It's affecting uh, not just uh, Xbox or PS5, but even graphics cards, which are also being hoarded by people who are mining Bitcoin to uh, speed run climate change. Um, yes, so they it sure is, are, aren't they? <laughs> yes. Uh, I've seen a lot of stores actually start to uh, do, you can only, each person can only buy one graphics card every 30 days as a way to combat um, sort of uh, hoarding uh, and sort of flipping them for just truly disgusting profits. Like Mm -hmm. if you go on eBay or Craigslist or just shout, hey, do you have a 3080? And you'll just get some like horrifying prices in response. Um, But uh, they're hopefully going to alleviate those issues by 2022, but we'll see. Um, I will say they're releasing them in batches regularly. Uh, You'll have a better chance there than you would on like the Nike sneakers app, but uh, Mm -hmm. Godspeed, may the odds be ever in your favor. (laughs) 
Wow, 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 wow. Uh, what a time we to be alive. Um, and yeah. Yeah, yeah. so um, we'll circle back to all that stuff, all the gaming stuff. Before we move on, I did want to say, I, I, I don't want to forget to mention uh, hellbentcomicbook.com. My the uh, my comic go it's uh, fully funded as of this recording. Congrats! Um, yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, it's it's um, the response has been really great. I've obviously talked about it on the show. We're now moving on to our stretch goals, uh, which if you don't know what those are, basically once you. you you achieve your goal. This allows us to make the rewards and the comic itself as good as possible to give the people, the backers, the best product they possibly can and kind of fulfill our vision for what the comic is. And so this comic is kind of like a classic Vertigo comic like Preacher or Sandman. It's a supernatural thriller with a trans woman with incredible supernatural powers. She has to team up with an arcane assassin that's like John Wick meets John Constantine. And so it's got a lot of like sex and violence and enchanted drug use and monsters and like a lot of the stuff we're talking about today but it's also about inclusivity it's also about finding your voice it's also about all these positive things at the end of the day we're trying to make a comic with with a positive perspective that is also uh fun and kick-ass and cool to read so if that sounds like something you're into it is happening it's not like you're throwing your money out there and hoping that maybe it'll no it's happening uh you will get it uh we're shipping out comics at the end of the year um so if you go to hellbentcomicbook.com there's probably also a link in the description any of that stuff go check it out uh for me what i am into this week is luca the new pixar movie that is dropping on disney if i was a smart person i would have checked if it's just going to be on disney plus or if you have to pay the premium premium price uh but i didn't and i don't know so um but i got a chance to watch it early and it is it is really wonderful i know some of the reviews i've seen are kind of lukewarm on it because it's not you know uh, Would you gonna... say Luca warm? Oh, um, so uh, I just did a thing with Maud, and so it's the I'm I'm swimming. In the, <laughs> I'm, I'm so swimming sorry in the puns to, right now. I'm, I'm so sorry right to do this back to back. You're in a pun sandwich. Um, so. Uh, but uh, it's it's delightful. It's not it's not going to bring the waterworks like other Pixar movies. But it it's beautiful. Of course, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Pixar is just so great at that. But it's also just a really fun story for those that don't know. Um, it's the synopsis is on the Italian Riviera. An unlikely but strong friendship grows between a human being and a sea monster disguised as a human. On Rotten Tomatoes, as of this recording, it has a 91%. Slight but suffused with infectious joy, the beguiling Luca proves Pixar can play it safe while still charming audiences of all ages. See, that's what I'm talking about. It's like that wasn't technically a compliment, but. Um, yeah, kind of like a backhanded compliment, mm-hmm. but. To me, I, I I understand because Pixar has almost laid out an impossible task for themselves because everyone expects every Pixar movie to be this revolutionary thing that'll reach inside your chest and massage your heart until a single tear drops from your eye. And it doesn't have to be like it yeah. can just make these like these more scaled down movies. I my my only uh, sort of complaint about I haven't seen Luca yet. Yeah. My only complaint about how they're releasing it is that it's a movie I want to see in theaters. That's a movie yeah. I think that could be well served. Um, obviously, they're fantastic if you're watching by yourself or even with family at home or friends at home. But it's I don't know. I just want to see it. I want to see their beautiful animation on the big screen. Yeah, totally. And uh, similarly, I, I had an opportunity to go see um, uh, In the Heights. 
at a screening, but it didn't work out because I wanted to go see it with my wife. So we we watched mm-hmm. it on HBO Max, and it was it was I really enjoyed the experience. Um, but it was one of those like it's similar to um, obviously very different movie but movies, but similar to um, Godzilla versus Kong. It's like oh yeah, oh, I wish I'd seen this in a the theater. This would have been so cool in the theater. <laughs> I know. Th- thankfully, um, I-, I got to go to a like drive-in screening of that, and even that was just like just more energy there than in my living room. Like, mm-hmm. it's not the same as if I turned to my dog and I'm like, "Oh hell yeah!" yeah, and yeah she's yeah. just like, "What do you want from me? <laughs> Did you see that?" But yeah, this the cast in Luca is great. We got Jacob Tremblay, we got Jack Dylan Glazer, we got uh, Emma Berman, Maya Rudolph, Jim Gaffigan, and Sasha Baron Cohen, who plays my favorite character. He only gets one scene in the movie, but it is the funniest scene in the movie. He plays Uncle Ugo. Uh, keep your eyes peeled for that. It is great. Um, but yeah, it's just a it's just a fun little delightful, light, colorful, beautiful movie. They do they take elements from um, similar to how I think Spider Verse and and I think more accurately um, the Lego Movie took the feel of of stop motion animation. Um, I think this movie incorporates elements of that as well, especially in the texture of the characters, which I think is really interesting. I've I've watched some um, more traditionally animated Disney movies recently, and uh, you know, there's just there's just a texture to traditional animation that mm-hmm. I appreciate the fact that Pixar is putting the energy towards trying to to create that in this CG created environment, make it feel created, handmade. Yeah. Absolutely. Because I feel like uh, I, I don't have that issue as much anymore, but there was like a time period where, you know, you had all these other people that were trying to be like, oh, we're Pixar too. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of led to this very kind of sterile glut of CG animated movies that, you know, they're like, well, we have the thing. We have a Pitbull song that is now at least six to eight months old by the time this movie comes out um, for the big uh, non sequitur dance scene. But uh, yeah, with Pixar, you especially, uh, having seen like the reference material they use, like the level of research they put into every project, especially for this, like, you know, they did tons of research trips and just, yeah. they're like, yeah, we're going to look at the text. We're going to like spend hours and hours having our animators look at water physics and then run incredibly complex algorithms to make it like look accurate on the big screen. So yeah, um, yeah I'm, I'm super stoked to see that. Um, and also speaking of texture, if you want to check out another uh, great animated movie that came out um, this year, uh, the Mitchells versus the machines. Yeah. Um, that's one that is, it's phenomenal. It's yeah. phenomenal. Um, and uh, from the folks at Sony Pictures Animation, and they that has such a unique look and feel to it. And while it's not necessarily as crisp, I would say, as like a Pixar movie or what you would expect from a Pixar movie, um, it has such a unique texture to that world as well. And almost this, uh, at times, hand-drawn sensibility, even though it is still um, CG animated. Yeah, yeah. I've heard nothing but great things about movie, that movie. I'm so excited to to check it out. And it is interesting. You see, like, I, I don't know that there's any relationship between Mitchells versus the Machines and this, but it's, uh, what is it, Hotel Transylvania? I know yeah. the, the, I think it was the first three were directed by Genny Tartakovsky, who, of course, did uh, mm-hmm. Dexter's Lab. He's doing... Uh, Primal right now, which is amazing. Oh, yeah. Samurai Uh, Jack. Yeah. And it's interesting to see those creators try and introduce some of those elements uh, to CG animation. And I I think, like, it it would be easy for somebody like me and be like, oh, the good old days of classic Uh animation. And and then (laughs) having to remind yourself, like, yeah, but they're still learning it. They're still learning. what they're, they're And they're 
pushing forward what we're able to do with CG animation to, and it's learning its own language and they're doing creative things for it. So you're right. There, there was this kind of like the dark age of like where there's Pixar and then there's other, every other crappy CG animated movie. Yeah. And now we're getting stuff like aforementioned Spider-Verse, Mitchell's versus Machines. We're getting stuff that like, oh, this is, this, they're, they're cracking it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's also interesting because I find uh, like speaking of that like dark age, I like worry sometimes that I am uh, denying myself um, like worthwhile uh, narrative or cinematic pleasure because of my aesthetic preferences. Like yeah. I did not want to watch like Star Wars, the Clone Wars um, for a long time because I really did not like the animation style. Mm-hmm. I was like, this looks this this looks like for children in a way that I do not uh, enjoy or like this looks, it, it just, it just like bothered my eyes. Yes, and I get it. when I finally gave it a chance, I was like, Oh, this is actually really well done and like lovingly crafted and very thoughtful storytelling and really enriches something that I already love. Yeah. So why was I being such a, an adult baby about this <laughs> instead of just actually like giving it a chance? I felt bad for like, you know, when She-Ra came to Netflix, it obviously was more targeted towards a female audience. So it had animation that was more in line with Steven Universe and maybe uh, um, Adventure Time and stuff like that. And like everybody was like, why doesn't it look like He-Man? And now the new He-Man man shows coming out and it does look like a modern he-man and everybody's like why doesn't it look like she-ra and it's like yeah you just mm-hmm. you need to accept the fact that some things aren't for certain people like that and that's okay exactly it's just okay exactly and now there's enough content that not everything has to be for everyone there's <laughs> something there is something for everybody out there and that's yeah. awesome so speaking of clone wars i wanted to ask you because i i i dipped in and out of clone wars pretty much anytime darth maul showed up i was there for it mm-hmm. um <laughs> but i i got screeners for bad batch and i watched those and i've and i've kept up with it have you been watching bad yeah. batch uh i started watching um I, I think i got through the first like three episodes and i got a little slammed with uh work stuff but it is a show that i Why? fully what intend happened? to what go back out? to um, <laughs> what were you doing for God, there is so, there's something with several vowels uh appended to each other and just uh four days of video gaming but um yeah no there's just a couple things that popped up and loki as well mm-hmm. uh what a confluence of events but yes uh, yeah, it's it, it's a show that I was really enjoying, and I was like, oh wow, this is this is much better than I was expecting. So I'm like, I'm going to go back and watch them when I have kind of an unbroken stretch of time, this mythical period of free time that I keep telling myself is coming someday with your backlog yes. games and all that. Too. Uh-huh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh-huh. We'll get there. Listen, we'll all get yes, there. Sure, Grandpa. Sure. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Well, speaking of this uh, uh, mini-valved event, let's talk about E3 2021. Uh, I'm so thankful you're here because I love video games, but I don't feel as connected to the industry of it as... Um, like back when I worked at SourceFed, you know what I mean. I'm just yeah. not as 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 plugged in. So I'm 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 ha- I'm excited to to dive into this with you. So let's start off with you. You know you you were hosting this event and everything. How was E3 2021? 
It was such a really special experience for me uh, as we were chatting a little bit before the show. E3 is always my favorite event of the year to cover. It's something I grew up reading about in like GamePro and, and EGM and the magazines when I was a kid. And I always thought to myself, wow, it'd be so cool to go there someday. Finally, in 2012, I got my chance to cover E3 professionally for the first time. And I felt like a kid in a candy store just walking in there. And it was real. it was a real bummer last year when obviously none of us could do anything in person uh, because we had to shelter in place and stay safe and you know they had the uh, global pandemic and like the pandemic is still going on in many parts of the world but mm-hmm. thankfully many of us are now vaccinated at least here in los angeles so we were able to do an in-person event that broadcast virtually and it was cool because at e3 generally speaking you know you have a bunch of different media outlets companies etc all competing for eyeballs and headlines but this year we kind of all got together to do this big kind of like celebration of video gaming rather than like it's not who won e3 it's like okay we're all coming together to talk about all these awesome games that are coming out this year and next year and the years after that so it was kind of cool from that perspective to be up there on stage with people from uh g4 and ign and GameSpot, and it was just really great uh you know just to talk about video games with people that have such a passion for them the people that make them and i I thought there was i thought it was a really great way to uh make this show feel relevant and Mm -hmm. keep it going in a year that uh we still sadly cannot meet in person yeah it's interesting it's been interesting to see the different outlets uh these different events come up with ways to do this stuff remotely and so i know um uh, i was able to keep up a little bit with it i know we had uh microsoft and nintendo and i believe capcom had a big thing sony um didn't participate in this e3 correct what's up with that so Sony, over the last couple of years, has slowly been going its own way. You've seen a bit of an exodus of from E3 by some of these larger publishers in recent years. Like EA was one of the big ones at first. They used to you would walk onto the show floor and it would immediately just be hit by a wall of sound and lights from the EA booth. It was yes, one of the biggest would. on the show floor. Uh, they want to do their own thing called um, EA Play, and that's because. And we'll, we'll touch on this a little bit more later. The nature of E3 is changing. So you don't necessarily need to do that big event. But what that does is actually it creates opportunities for indie developers and smaller developers, people that yeah. don't have Sony money, Xbox money, Nintendo money to do these presentations and get more spotlight and then in turn more attention for their games that might otherwise go unnoticed because they don't have the marketing budget of uh, some of these AAA titles that come out every year. Yeah. So... Long story short, uh, Sony, they're going to be doing their own thing at some point. They have their days of play. Um, They gave a look at uh, Horizon Forbidden West a couple weeks ago. They'll have more stuff coming down the pipeline. Um, But yeah, long story short, uh, there was a lot of great games that were able to sort of fill that void that Sony left behind. Well, I'm interested. You talk about there's one game that really stood out to me when I was I was trying to like catch up on all the releases. And we'll talk about it in a little bit Uh, or we'll talk about it now. Uh, The the trailer for um, Replaced, which I want to say was part Mm -hmm. of maybe Xbox presentation but for those that don't know um it's like i I don't even really know how to describe it it's like an 8-bit i think they call it 2.5d yeah like where it's like it's like 3d environments but kind of like side scrolly uh 2d graphics yeah and it just i saw that i'm like i'm because i'm not as plugged in with some of these indie games i did just play for the first time disco elysium and it blew my mind um, mm-hmm. And so I'm. What an incredible game! Yeah, it just it, I, I haven't played anything like it really, and it just really sucked me in. It made me very emotional. Like there was a few key points that I, I really felt moved by the game, um, and so uh, yeah, and so it's like I need to start. 
start I I feel like as a consumer I need to start paying attention more attention to these games like this and I don't know if replaced because it was part of the Microsoft presentation I don't know if uh, replaced falls in one of those more indie things but it, it just- is no it, it definitely is an indie still uh, Microsoft has um, their ID at Xbox program where they really try to highlight indies um, and you know they they it's important for them too I think and makes them look better as a uh, gigantic publishing platform mm-hmm. to have room for these indie games in there in between your Halo Infinites and your Far Cry 6s, these like bigger ticket games that can't afford it because, you know, a game like Replaced is a standout because it looks so striking. It's so unique, that 2.5D aesthetic, that sort of cyberpunk um, like uh, art style, you know, you're an AI trapped in a human body, you're on the run um, and you have this sort of like really free-flowing combat with uh, just this cinematic uh, like it's, it looks so cinematic and like I, I love a good platformer you know I think yeah. I, I can't tell if it's going to fall into that sort of Metroidvania category of like mm-hmm. uh, a lot of games out there like Dead Cells for example where you're kind of like uh, retracing your steps uh, and just exploring this large world or if it's going to be more sort of like linear in nature but either way it looks awesome yeah yeah so that was a big standout um, for me going back a little bit to um, the, the convention as a whole and you were kind of talking about the future where where is e3 because we, we talked a little bit about this yeah, yeah. prior to to uh, going on the air like I know when, when I was a kid similar to you like just e3 was the thing like there was oh yeah yeah it just as a child like this it was it was Willy Wonka's chocolate factory that was like that was the thing and now you know comic-con has taken up a lot of that conversation where is e3 in its life cycle and now that we've it's it's gone two whole years through a pandemic what um where, where does it go from here yeah so e3 is evolving i think it has to by uh the nature of the world that we live in now i believe the first one was in 1995 and that was very much a like corporate event uh my good friend kale anonymous put together an awesome video during e3 about a look back at the very first e3 and it's kind of silly to see the like booths and presentations there it's very much for these uh like video game executives and over the years uh, it is it was that that's what it was. It was industry only. Mm-hmm. And the only way you'd hear about all these games, you'd get to see like first looks at all these games in the games press, but there wasn't really a good way to go direct to consumer with it. You had to get, filter this information from uh, an event like E3 through the games media. And, you know, you'd be lucky if like some of these larger outlets, like the New York times would write like one article a year about E3. I think I saw, um, the uh, Chris Plant from Polygon mentioned that on a panel during E3. And that's like, you're like, okay, thank you, sir. May I have another? And for <laughs> years, you couldn't. Yeah. Uh, but now, with the advent of live streaming platforms, of YouTube, yeah. of Twitch, of Facebook, of you name it, you don't necessarily need an event like E3 to get your message to bring your games directly to the customers that are going to buy them. And that's what their bottom line is. They're they're not here to make uh, members of the press feel special for getting to play their game early. They're here to sell people and like put discs in hands. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. they, like people like Sony, uh, EA, they can do their own events uh, probably cheaper. They can sell their own ads into it and they can make more money doing that and they can control the conversation. They don't have to share sort of voice with anyone else. But now E3 is kind of 
they're in a similar position where they've increasingly opened the platform and opened the event to fans as well, to consumers. Yeah. So they've started releasing a number of like fan tickets. So I think next year, um, the goal for them is to do it in person. But I think they still want to keep this sort of like live stream element to bring E3 to people that can't be there to unite all of these, unite the clans, like mm-hmm. uh, bring them all together on one stage. That way you still have your own individual booth. You have your own individual area to do your own thing in addition to this big sort of like united front because it is meant to be sort of this celebration and coming together of the video games industry as a whole. Um, So I think that as it moves forward, it's definitely going to be less sort of like, there's always going to be that element of like, don't look behind the curtain Mm -hmm. um, or like we got to see this exclusive thing, but that's that's the same thing at comic-con too like the whole point is like you want to reward the people that are there but you also want to get the news out so people that can't be there can also take part in it celebrate it share their excitement um but i do think that e3 is still going to it has such a strong brand um that it's going to be hard to kind of displace that uh in the near future at least yeah yeah yeah. i think that makes a lot of sense to me especially when you look at the way the pandemic affected comic-con and you know it struggled with doing its version of like a a streaming convention and then you you look at what dc did with its thing and it's like oh yeah, mm-hmm. this was this was better <laughs> you know what i mean it was so much better yeah. it was so much better and like that's the other thing is like it's uh you even saw that this year at e3 with uh like certain publishers for example they don't necessarily know how to produce a remote piece of content or showcase on their own versus like, you know, you have the main the main company that's working on the main E3 stream. It's going to look a lot better by comparison because that is their core competency. Like that other company, oh, we make video games well. We don't mm-hmm. necessarily make uh, digital panels well. And it's not their fault, uh, but it's at a certain point, hopefully they can sort of streamline that production. So everything looks and feels like kind of on the same page. And, you know, it is a place like Comic-Con, like Comic-Con at home. I'm I'm hopeful that this year they will take any learnings from last year to make it more compelling because, you know, you look at DC fandom in comparison and the production value, obviously through the roof because you have Warner Brothers backing you. But uh, it was just a better kind of like flow to it. Um, like they had like a good, they had a good variety of announcements, Mm -hmm. panels, interviews, um, like sort of trivia, things like that. So hopefully, uh, Comic-Con at home can take some learnings from that and figure out ways to make its stream feel more compelling, inclusive, exciting for everyone involved. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I got to ask what, what was the big, uh, standout for you at this year's E3, either announcement or a moment? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, there's a ton of stuff that I was uh, actively geeking out about. Um, one one that I have to mention is Starfield. It's, uh, yeah. as uh, Bethesda's Todd Howard said, it's Skyrim in space. It's Bethesda's first new IP in 25 years. Wow. Um, so another person working on the game is like, yeah, it's kind of like a Han Solo simulator. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds like exactly what I want. And that all they had to do was show a little cinematic and I was just instantly super hyped about it like it's coming coming in 2022 i believe i can't wait to play it it looks like it's really going to put uh next gen consoles through their paces uh the xbox series x and s and pc sadly not coming out on playstation consoles but i don't know why anyone's surprised because microsoft spent 7.5 billion dollars to buy bethesda so but you don't just, do that to su- <laughs> you don't do that to put games on playstation I you're not going to spend that kind of money to be I, egalitarian i just i just migrated to playstation with the ps4 and I, they really got me like the, the spider-man uh-huh. game you meant you mentioned horizon god of war and i was like i think i'm gonna ride this ps train now uh, 
Sandstorm, but well, Starfield looks so good. <laughs> there's a bu- there's a bunch of stuff coming out. I, I do have a th- I do have a theory that it is going to come to PlayStation eventually. Mm-hmm. I could see it happening maybe like six months to a year later. Of course, I could be wrong about this. Maybe they're just being like, <laughs> nah, because yeah. uh, I think they did the same thing with uh, Bethesda's other big game they announced, Redfall, which this this kind yeah. of like crazy looking uh like co-op horror shooter where you're hunting vampires it looks awesome and speaking of horror shooters another one that really stood out to me was back for blood um from the makers of left for dead turtle rock studios published by warner brothers interactive it is it looks awesome it is it's exact it's basically back for it's basically left for dead but with uh new lore new characters um it's and also they announced uh a Co- excuse me, a versus mode, a multiplayer mode where one team are these sort of survivors known as cleaners and the other team are these murder monsters. Um, so you get to be all of these like stylized zombies and then try to kill other people online, laying traps for them and trying to just take them out before you can as a big competitive multiplayer person and someone who loved the original Left 4 Dead's versus mode. I was like, this is all I wanted. This will be a day one purchase. Wait, and what was the name of this game? Back for Blood. See, so I heard Back for Blood, and even though you describe them as like monsters, I for some reason I heard vampires. And I was like, I want to say there was a third vampire game. Like, no, there was a masquerade is, uh, game yeah. as well. Like there was, there a, was a vampire the masquerade yeah, game. Yeah, There's yeah. Redfall, which is another co-op shooter featuring vampires. Vampires had a pretty big showing this year at E3, especially uh, coming hot on the heels of Resident Evil Village too. I'm so excited. To, I know it's out, but I haven't had a chance to play Village yet. I uh, I had Cyberpunk. Uh, and it was buggy. And so I moved to Disco Elysium, <laughs> and now I've gone back to Cyberpunk, and it's pretty much playable. It's almost playable at this point. <laughs> they they have been steadily releasing patches. I, I, I was fortunate in that I played on PC, and my bugs were prevalent but not game-breaking. Yeah. Um, and I, I enjoyed it. I beat it when it came out. Um, I, I don't know if I'm ready to go back and put it through the paces yet to test how the patches work. Yeah. Um, but I'll report uh, back. I'll let you know. Yes. As long as it doesn't actively make your uh, like your PS4 uh, explode into a like little mini like nuclear mushroom cloud, uh, you should be good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but anyway, I'm I'm playing that right now. But I got to get to Resident Evil Eight because I love Four, and there's been some very positive comparisons between this and Four, and so I'm excited to jump back into the Resident Evil. But that's that's a that's a that's an old game. That's old news. We don't mm-hmm. want to talk about yes. old news. Um, they, an- they did announce to make it relevant. They announced that some DLC is coming, and the multiplayer uh, Resident Evil game are verse is dropping next month so we'll we'll make it contextual and the and they are making a remake of four they're doing one of their remakes of four yes yeah yeah. they're they're doing a remake of four which uh, a phenomenal game that i I cannot wait to play again on yet another system so it's gonna be awesome yes anyway uh all very exciting that'll honestly it'll probably be when i get eight is once they release like the game of the year edition with all the dlc of course Yeah, Yeah. yeah yeah um so uh let's get into some of these discord questions we've got no Rain asks, what did you think of the Breath of the Wild 2 trailer? It's the game I'm most looking forward to. I saw a lot of hype for this Breath of the Wild 2. Yeah, and it, despite it being uh, the 35th anniversary of the Legend of Zelda franchise, they kept it pretty low-key. They played their cards close to the vest until A.J. Numa, the series producer, was like, and one more thing. Mm-hmm. And my first thought was, where are we dropping, boys? Because that shot of Link uh, flying through the air kind of reminded me of a battle royale when you're dropping onto the mm-hmm. map, but... I am just so stoked. Like 
the Breath of the Wild is uh, one of the best games, period. Like it it really, I can't, I struggle to think of a better launch game for a console, maybe Halo on the original Xbox, um, but it looks phenomenal. It looks like more of what people want. You have more of that verticality. You have enough fodder for a billion fan theories about not only the title, but what's going on with Link's arm. How do they get here? When does it take place? Why are things floating in the air? Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that it's going to be, a welcome return to that world. I'm my personal theory is that they are going to release this in tandem with that long rumored uh, Nintendo Switch Pro. Yeah. Because what better way to uh, hype up a souped up version of your system than with a souped up version of the game you launched that system with? Yeah. Uh, so. We'll see about that. It's still just been rumored. Uh, there was reporting in Bloomberg on it a few months ago. So I do fully believe that a more improved Nintendo Switch is in development. But to get back to the question at hand, I think Breath of the Wild 2, which not even the, t- the title, they said they're currently calling it sequel to The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild because the real title would be a bit of a spoiler, I guess. Um, I think the bigger question is whether or not they're going to keep weapon durability in there because that's all I saw people talking about online afterwards. They can't be happy for even one second. Mm-hmm. I will say... I- I did try to dip my toe into Breath of the Wild after a few years after it released, and the the uh, weapon durability was a little bit of a learning curve from past, <laughs> from past Zelda games. Um, I think the other thing I saw some people talking about lending to the the souped up Switch was I want to say it was Metroid Dread where they the the footage they Ooh, were yeah. showing was like this looks a little bit better than typical Switch. Uh, it, was, it was some sort of Switch game. They were like uh, this this may mean that we're this may be more co- like. A subtle hint that, yeah, we are getting a pro switch. Yeah, and speaking of Metroid Dread, that was uh, far and away one of the best games I saw at the show. This is a game that's almost 20 years in the making, a sequel to uh, Metroid Fusion. It's going to put a period at the end of Samus's story from the arc that began in the original Metroid. What does that mean? What does it mean? I know. I'm so excited. And... I also love, like, you know, you go into a Metroid game, you're kind of expecting this, like, sort of uh, just creepy xenobiology, like, almost aliens adjacent, like, sci-fi horror aesthetic. But this one is, like, cold technological horror with those tyrant-style, Lady Mm -hmm. Dimitrescu-style robot dogs, the Emmy, that just chase you down. And I was reading, like, an interview where they're talking about the lore a little bit. They're like, yeah, they previously like these robots that would harvest your DNA. And I was like, they would, excuse me, they would do what? Mm -hmm. Uh, So, that I mean, that game, another huge standout. Nintendo came out swinging with their showcase. uh, So, a lot of great stuff in there. So, we got a question here from Caitlin Conway. Were there any games that weren't really on your radar until seeing the trailer slash announcement that you're hyped for now? Yes, and that is a fantastic question. Uh, one that really stood out to me is called Loot River. Okay. It was one of the most delightful surprises of the show. It is by Straka Studio and Super Hot Presents, and it's an oddball mixture of Tetris and Diablo. Um, it's a combination that uh, kind of sounds weird at first, but works better than it has any right to. So basically, it's this eerie dark fantasy aesthetic. You're in this procedurally generated labyrinth, and uh, you walk onto these like sort of uh, tetromino-shaped rafts, and then you control where the raft goes to connect it to another like little island raft thing. And then on there, there might be monsters, and you kill them or lure them onto your raft and move it wow. around that way. So you're on this like weird maze like underground river just hacking and slashing the combat looks really slick and it just looks super inventive you know i had a 
I had a great time uh, playing Loop Hero earlier this year, where it's just a game that I wouldn't expect to grab me like it did. But uh, Loot River looks like that exact same feeling. It has this really great little kind of pixel art meets Bloodborne world that they've built. And I'm very excited to see where it goes from there. Um, That's another one that. Yeah, another one that really stood out um, uh, from this company called New Blood. Um, they had a lot of really great games at the show, like Gloomwood, which is this kind of like occult riff on classic shooters like Doom. But they had another uh, Doom-esque game uh, called Fallen Aces, which is basically a 1920s gangland shooter. Uh, and it looks so fun. It has this like bombastic personality to it. It almost has this like cell shaded aesthetic, uh, kind of feels like uh, that old PC game 13 mm-hmm. or, um, you know, a more recent one, uh, that you'd see that from is like, uh, uh, borderlands for example, mm-hmm. but it's more comic booky and it just looks like you were just punching and Tommy gunning your way through, uh, this like mob infested city. And it looks phenomenal. That's amazing. I'll have to check that out for me. This was a little bit of, of, uh, one of the AAA games games but uh, i had no idea that they were making an avatar game oh yeah um, oh yeah uh, frontiers of pandora and i am on the record of not being the biggest fan of the avatar movie um perhaps a little salty that they kind of took the avatar name from the nickelodeon show that i love so much but of but course seeing that trailer i'm like oh i'm actually way into this and maybe this is this world is meant to be a video game maybe this this is its perfect living space I think so. And it's also hilarious to me that that video game will probably come out before any of the four sequels that yes. uh, James Cameron's currently working on. Um, I, I, I'm always reminded of my favorite uh, James Cameron quote about Avatar 2, where he went on record saying, uh, Avatar 2 will make you shit yourself with your mouth wide open. And that is the feeling I fully expect to get from Avatar Frontiers of Pandora, because like you said, I think that this is a world that could be a lot of fun to explore in three dimensions rather than being brought on this sort of like thrill ride through the eyes of Jake Sully and Mm. whatever other Navi nonsense is going on. Um, And look, I I enjoyed Avatar when I saw it in the theaters, but then uh, it was like I was uh, mind wiped men in black style. I could, I would not, I would be hard pressed to like tell you about major plot points uh, beyond things like, unobtainium mm-hmm. and uh and also the guy from your next in uh not your next uh, the guy from uh don't, don't breathe, breathe yeah. in a mech yes um so it was it, it, it's crazy that that it, it's it made so much money and it's trying to become this enduring franchise uh 10 years <laughs> a decade too late. plus yeah, after yeah, yeah. yes <laughs> but you know what more power to him. James Cameron, someone who's been to the bottom of the literal ocean and is like, you know what I'd rather do? Go to Pandora. So yeah. if he believes in it, I'm willing to take the ride. I'm willing to check out this game. Uh, for Ubisoft folks at Avalanche Studios, it looks super fun. Yeah, it's easy for me to be cynical about stuff, but it's like, this is the guy that did Aliens, Terminator 2, like Titanic. Like he's, how, yes. many, how many times has he made the biggest movie in the world? It's like, yeah, I mean, you know what? I, I feel like doing four sequels 10 years after the first one is a dumb idea but you know what do i know i'm not james cameron but yeah (laughs) but this video game seeing the world more there i think the one that really stood out to me is these these titanic like elephant bull creatures and i'm like Mm -hmm. yeah i actually do want to see more of this world like it's the you still have like the navi jumping up and using the same thing same hair tendril that they used to have sex with each other with a dragon but you know whatever hey yes i'm not gonna think about it let's just move on yeah don't worry about the usb hair dicks that may 
may or may not be a mechanic in the game, uh, but we'll find out. We'll figure uh, it out together. But uh, a couple other things that stood out to me, Starfield, like you mentioned, uh, I was I really enjoyed Outer Worlds, and I thought oh, yeah. the Outer Worlds two trailer was hilarious. Specifically, the it moment, was so good. The, the moment where that giant monster is like, "Is this monster going to be in the game?" Nope. Say goodbye to it forever. I was like, "Yeah, I like this. <laughs> I like this energy." That was a standout for me. Yeah, those were the ones that um, that. Uh, really made an impression on me. What did you think about the Guardians of the Galaxy game? I've I've heard a lot of mixed thoughts about this. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I, I my issues are less with um, the aesthetics of the characters, which I know I saw some people complaining that it's it doesn't look exactly like Chris Pratt. Mm-hmm. Uh, look, uh, likeness rights cost a lot of money, sure and do. it's a thorny um, thing to wade into. And I'd also look, it's a big enough thing. I don't want it to look exactly like uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy that we know and love from the movies. I'm glad it's its own thing. Um, I've also been hurt before by Marvel's Avengers, um, a game that I really wanted to love, but just could not get into. Um, The whole games as service thing didn't really do it for me. This one... I am cautiously optimistic because one of my favorite studios, IDOS Montreal, the folks behind the modern Deus Ex games are the ones who are making this. And they have, you saw a lot of that in the trailer where you have to make that decision. Do I sell Groot for money or do I sell Rocket for money? Mm -hmm. You have that kind of like branching narrative. It has a good sense of humor. The combat looks interesting. It looks uh, like they've taken a lot of learnings from previous games to make it feel sort of free flowing. Um, And I like that you can, you, you're going to be playing as Star-Lord and you can yeah. issue commands to the other Guardians. Um, and there are some like nice Marvel deep cuts in there. So I'm excited to see what they can do with it. But I'm not necessarily sold yet because I don't I don't know. I guess I'm uh, I, maybe I'm just like I need to be proven wrong. I'm like, well, I hope it's good, but I'm a little skeptical because yeah. apart from like the Spider-Man games, I'm hard pressed to think of a like recent like Marvel game that I really vibed with. Yeah, um, yeah. So we'll, and I we'll also see. feel like the decision to I, I understand the reason behind it, but the decision that you can only play Star Lord feels suspect. It's like yeah, then why didn't you just choose a Marvel property that's just one person then? <laughs> yeah, well you it's gotta be a conflux of um them really wanting to push the Guardians. Uh mm-hmm. like they're 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 like that that IP is definitely a priority for Marvel. Um but also it does offer a lot of like rich uh narrative potential for that because like it's got to be super fun for the writers that can just like have that kind of like bickering family dynamic um and have fun with that uh while i love uh and like great for bonnie tyler that holding out for heroes and um, yet another (laughs) yes in the he-man masters the master the master universe revelations trailer um it's in loki episode two Mm -hmm. and now it's in the guardians of the galaxy uh trailer here it's uh it's great for her I am a little worried for people who stream video games about playing yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy on stream. I hope they have a streamer mode that has sort of like unlicensed, not, not unlicensed music, but music that is cleared for streaming because otherwise playing that is just going to paint a like target on your house to get nuked from orbit by DMCA mm-hmm. uh, takedowns. Um, it's just going to be a thorny uh, thorny waters or thorny patch to wade through for people cool what a time to live in anyway uh, i know right yeah yeah yeah. um and then uh halo infinite because because we talked a little bit about halo earlier yes. i dipped out of halo once they kind of, i've always enjoyed the multiplayer but i'm one of those people that is good to a point like i'm good enough to get into uh, matches with people that absolutely demolish me and then it kind of uh-huh. then it kind of stops being fun <laughs> um, i know i know what you mean so there was a point i want to say 
around what maybe Halo Five that it kind of became more less about the. You, you, there wasn't like you couldn't just escape to the stories part. It's like no, you're playing multiplayer. Um, yeah. What I, I kind of actually don't even know where we're at with Infinite. Like I don't know where we're at in the story. What we're trying to do. Can you tell me a little bit about what's where? Not just yeah, What's so, going on uh, with Halo right now? Well, I am not. I am by no means an expert on Halo lore, but I believe this takes place following the events of Halo Five Guardians and telling a new chapter in Master Chief's story. There's a brand new AI voiced by Erica Ishii, uh, so oh, that's cool. going to be cool. Yes, Good uh, for her. and so it seems like Master Chief is on this far-flung world, and there's this new kind of like renegade cult of uh, Covenant or other aliens that are rising up. And this is a game they've been working on for quite some time. It was originally supposed to be a launch title for the Xbox Series X and S, but 343 Industries uh, decided they needed to take more time. And I'm glad they did because a, you know, I think about that Shigeru Miyamoto quote all the time, a rushed game is bad forever. A delayed game is eventually good. <laughs> um, and like they've, they're exactly, <laughs> yeah. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, what a bummer. Yeah. Uh, they're taking their time with this, though. Um, and they're taking their time to get it to a place they want to be because so many people have such huge expectations for the Halo franchise, like the Halo, the Master Chief Collection. When that first came out, it was literally unplayable, but they got it to a point where it was really good. Yeah. And they've incentivized people to keep playing it. And I think they're making some smart moves with like the multiplayer, for example. They are making it free to play. You can yeah. just, anyone can play the Halo multiplayer and there's going to be ways to uh, create microtransactions in there, but not sort of pay to win. It's more like getting cosmetics and things like that, which is something I can vibe with. I understand, yeah. like those, you want to get people to play this. Those but sons of in bitches, that, they're going to get me headshot all over again. I'm gonna, they're going to make uh-huh. me go back in, and I'm going to get beat up all over again. <laughs> Running riots. Mm-hmm. It's going to be great. It's. Uh, I, I'm for. I'm super stoked to see what they have in store. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm also equally excited to see how much it's evolved graphically because, you know, some people are complaining when they first saw it at E3 a couple of years ago. They're like, well, it doesn't kind of it doesn't look as next gen as I want. But mm-hmm. I think that 343 has taken the time to iron out all the kinks they need. They've been very sort of transparent with the community uh, through the um, their blogs on their website and sort of development updates. So. I, I have utter confidence that it's going to be the game that people want, especially because it seems like they are not just catering to old school fans, but people that came maybe came in around Halo Four or Halo Five Guardians, and hopefully going to have someone for something for everyone there. So yeah. I, I'm just excited for another sprawling uh, single like single player campaign, or even like one that I can do co op with people because that was always something yes. I loved about Halo. That's how I first experienced it. Was like like with a double gulp from Seven Eleven, staying up until five in the morning with uh, my buddy Evan in middle school mm-hmm. playing the original Halo and like finally beating that campaign. We felt like golden gods. That's the yeah. feeling I'm always chasing. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, and, and it did make me, even though I felt pretty comfortable dipping out of the Halo franchise, seeing the trailer for that, I was like, ah. and even even again, like even though uh, I'm not the best at online multiplayer, like seeing the footage from that, I'm like, it, it brought back some of those fond memories of, of again, playing with your friend and, mm-hmm. and and uh, so I, I might you're making a compelling argument between this and Star. You you specifically are making a compelling argument between this and Starfield to dip back. I'll into take Xbox. my check now, Mister Xbox. <laughs> so last question from STS twenty eight eighty four. Any video game franchise that didn't get announced this year that you really want to make a comeback? Yeah, uh, I mean, there's. Every year, every year I put this energy out into the universe. I'm a simple man. I just want Fallout, New Vegas, either New Vegas 2 
or put New Vegas on Switch. That's <laughs> all I want. I want my favorite Fallout. The best Fallout to me is that that's what I want. I don't want Fallout 76. I want more of this expansive post-apocalyptic universe. Another one that uh, was missing, they showed it very briefly. They had plenty of spinoffs. It's just not how I wanted to see it, is Final Fantasy 16. Mm-hmm. I am a dyed-in-the-wool fan of this franchise. Final Fantasy 7 is what really implanted a love of single-player story-driven RPGs in me. That is it's something I've carried with me my whole life. And I just, I, I remember being bowled over by that cinematic they released at E3 a couple of years ago. And I just want more. I want some updates on that. Uh, so, you know, that, uh, and also uh, one that was rumored that we didn't get to see is uh, an XCOM style tactics game uh, set in the Marvel universe. Ooh. One that I, when I heard that combination of words, I'm a big fan of tactical strategy RPGs and games like that, games like XCOM. So uh, the fact that that did not materialize was uh uh, a, a blow to my to my uh, world weary heart. So, a couple things. One, what are the uh, odds of us actually getting Fallout New Vegas? Too, I've seen a lot of love for that franchise, but obviously, Obsidian that was Obsidian, right? And they moved on to Outer yes. Worlds. And, yes. Yeah. So, it the odds the odds of us seeing a Fallout New Vegas too, I would say, are infinitesimally small. They are. <laughs> it's probably not going to happen because it does not behoove. Um, Bethesda to retread familiar ground. They want to, every time they make a Fallout game, there's connections to previous games. You'll see references to this world, but they want to do a new setting. And I understand that. Like, that is exciting as a gamer, too, to be like, oh, cool, I get a brand new world to explore. Um, Even Fallout 76, they're taking you to Appalachia. It's not just like a same part of the world that you've been in previously. So what I could see is like, a Fallout New Vegas HD or remaster, like all they'd have to do is partner with one of the dozens of modders for that game to be like, hey, can we pay you money to incorporate this into the remaster? Great. Um, And then put that on a handheld platform like Nintendo Switch. Bethesda has a great partnership with Nintendo thus far. They've put everything from Wolfenstein to Doom Eternal on Switch. So to me, I'd love to see, especially because I think it was just like the 10th anniversary of Fallout 3, I'd love to see that uh, get some love on a handheld console like the Nintendo Switch. Um, But as for an official sequel, sadly, my dream are probably going to remain unfulfilled and as far as final fantasy goes uh i'm probably going to trip over some of this there was a final fantasy announcement this year that was similar to another game that i'm going to say is bloodborne uh yes okay. bloodborne and dark yeah. souls yeah, yes yeah, you yeah. nailed it um it's called stranger of paradise final fantasy origin and it is kind of the uh rumored uh, well, no longer rumored. It is uh, from Koei Tecmo and Team Ninja, um, and it is a Souls-like game, meaning that it is akin to the gameplay of Dark Souls, which is this kind of uh, very relentless action RPG-style combat that requires blocking and precise inputs and can be uh, controller-breakingly frustrating at times. But uh, the standout for me from that trailer was just how many times they said the word chaos. If you were to take a drink, every time they said chaos, yeah. chaos, chaos, you would be dead before two minutes were up. Yeah, it's like watching a fast movie when you, if you were to take drinks when they say family. It's family. Like, so it's gonna oh, be, yeah. It's oh, going to yeah. be rough. It's going to be rough. Uh, so cool. I Thank you again for uh, coming on here to talk with me about E3. Were there anything anything else you wanted to talk about before we wrap up today? Um, yeah, I think that um, obviously uh, while there's so many amazing uh, AAA titles that have come out of this, you know, things that you expect, things like uh, Halo, things like Battlefield, things like um, even um, like Final Fantasy or Legend of Zelda, 
if you get the time, seek out some of the indie games that were announced at E3 this year, because some of these are just very small development teams of like one, two, three people. Yeah. Um, one of the best games of the past year, uh, Valheim, was a team of five people that made one of the biggest games in the world because it caught on. There's so much incredible talent out there. And it really got to get showcased through things like the Indie Game Showcase, the uh, Freedom Games panel. Um, there's so many amazing games that come out of this. Like one that came to mind is, uh, it's called To the Rescue. It is a dog rescue management sim. Uh, where you are doing, you're basically running a virtual dog rescue, and 20% uh, of every dollar uh, in sales they make goes to support the Pet Finder Foundation. So they're doing some real world good as well. So and cool. it's, you, you might find your new favorite game there. You know, I think about a great example, one of the biggest indie games of the past uh, decade, Stardew Valley. That was a labor of love of one person, this guy Concerned Ape, who loved a game called Harvest Moon so much he made his own spiritual successor. And now you see other games being influenced by Stardew Valley, like one called One Lonely Outpost, where it's basically Space Dew Valley. You are making, you're making a Mars colony uh, and like starting your own space farm there. So there's a lot of cool stuff out there. Uh, definitely take the time to research if you can. Uh, you can find some cool stuff on Nerd and other websites out there too but there's a lot of amazing indie games so i just want to give a shout out to them because a lot of incredible talent yeah i'm so glad you did that yeah because again having just played disco elysium it's it's so cool to see what people are able to do now like just you don't need to be a big triple a publisher to make really uh powerful fun to play games but now that's it for us today. Dan, I know you said at the top of the episode, but again, for the kids at home, where can they find you? What should they be looking out for from you? Yes, absolutely. Uh, home children, thank you so much for watching. Uh, you can find me online uh, at Nerdist each and every day, talking about Loki, talking about Marvel, talking about anything under the sun, including video games. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Dan Casey, and you can find me on Instagram at Osteoferocious, like the bone disease, but a little bit meaner. Um, and otherwise, I don't know, just like uh, take care of yourselves, go for a walk. Uh, taking mm -hmm. walks has been really helpful for me to clear my head. So uh, just go outside and uh, enjoy the fresh air. I love it. Uh, you can find me at DJ Talks Trash. Every place that matters, you can find the show at Only Stupid Answers. But on Twitter, you're going to want to yank the vowels out of stupid. Uh, Dan, thank you for joining us this week. Thank you, everybody at home who listens. Uh, please share, uh, subscribe, do all the things on Anchor. Uh, we can ask you guys a question that you can answer on if you listen to it on Spotify. So please check that out. Last week, we asked, what's your favorite musical? Because we were talking about In the Heights, and we got a lot of good responses to that we got um uh uh Bridnib, uh, Eurovision Song Contest, The Story of Fire Saga, uh, Sam Jacobs, <laughs> Come From Away, who I've, I've heard some good things about that. Um, Sir Crap himself and, uh, said Little Shop of Horrors. Uh, Stormy Woods said, Yeah, it's a lot, of, a lot of solid picks here. Stormy Woods said Sound of Music and West Side Story. Um, I'm going to pronounce your name wrong. I'm so sorry. Jisui Wazalewski, hopefully close. Uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show. He watches every year around Halloween. Elaine Baltasar says High School Musical. Brian Ortiz, Brian Ortiz says Roger and Hammerstein's Cinderella with Brandy and Whitney Houston. Um, Jack Barnes is Sweeney Todd. William Niles Wilson also says Sweeney Todd. And Michael Wysong says Hamilton. So uh, uh, check that out every week. Uh, if you listen to this episode on Spotify, you can answer that question. Please give us five-star reviews on iTunes. All of that stuff. And we will see you next week. Bye, everybody. At HellbenComicBook.com. Bye. Bye.